Corinthians chapter 4. Of course, the book of 2 Corinthians is um, a little bit of a follow-up. It looks like to me that uh, most of you believe, that study the Bible, believe that possibly Apostle Paul wrote four letters to the church at Corinth. Two of them, God has included in the Bible for us. And they're referenced in both of the, the books. It seems like he, he referenced certain things there. But 1 Corinthians is a larger book of our New Testament epistles, 16 chapters given to us. And it really is, he asked us strategically, though Paul spent a year and a half there in Corinth. Corinth was a wicked city. And a lot of bad baggage was in the hearts and lives of those people who had come from bad backgrounds. And then they had let other people teach them bad doctrine. There was a lot of challenges in the church. After he left, uh, boy, they had some big mouths who were trying to give him a hard time. And, and uh, there was a lot of division. There was... Um, uh, challenges with the, uh, the, the spiritual gifts, there was stinginess in the church, lots of challenges. And so he really writes a, a rip-your-face-off book in 1, Peter, 1 Corinthians chapter, the, first, the whole book. 2 Corinthians, a little bit more comforting there. He opens up with comfort and uh, with um, the idea of, 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 of prayer and comfort. In chapter 2, he talks of forgiveness. In chapter 3, he talks about dependence upon the Lord, and our sufficiency is not in ourself. Then chapter 4, he opens up with soul winning, witnessing. And he said, look, when I came to you, I came to you because the Father gave me that, that assignment to come and witness to you. He talks about the purity principle. He said, when I came to you, I didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom, nor did I come with deceitfulness. But one thing when you witness to people, avoid any tendency to manipulate a decision. Just tell them the truth. If they have a question, try to answer. If you don't know the answer, tell them. I don't know the answer, but I can try to find it for you. You don't want to manipulate people. He said, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with deceitfulness. Not trying to manipulate your emotions. I'm trying to, I told you the truth. We find that that's the case. He gave him the purity principle in witnessing. He also gave him the priority principle. Verse 5, he says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus. When we're, we're witnessing, we're talking about Jesus. When you give out a gospel track, I would just encourage you. I love First Baptist Church, but we need to be very careful to say, this tells you about Jesus Christ or what Jesus Christ did for me. These are the words that tell you how you can have eternal life. Uh, make Christ. Our, I, you know, I'm thankful when people talk about pastor or talk about the church or the program or my bus captain or my Sunday school teacher, but make them secondary to Jesus. He needs to be the focus. He said the priority of that. And then he sees the personal principle there that, that we're just vessels. We're just instruments that God gave. And then he talks about the pain principle. Getting the gospel out is going to involve some painful distress. And he tells this group of people who are somewhat carnal, he says, look, it's not been a walk in the park. It's been challenging serving the Lord. Witnessing to people and being a good soul winner and discipling people is not something that is easy. The ministry is a blessed life, but it's not necessarily the easiest life. He tells them that. He says, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want you to be ignorant. There are some difficult things that happen to me in this process. And he tells that in these few words. Look, if you would, please, at verse number uh, 8. For we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. He says he's telling what, what happened, but he's also talking about God's grace in the moment. He goes, every time we turn this way, that way, we have some problems. But I'm not stressed out about it. We are perplexed. We don't know the answer. 
We've got more questions than we have answers, but we're not in despair. We're not hopeless. Verse number nine, read it with me. Persecuted, but not cast down. So he finds himself, and he, and he describes his, 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 cha- his challenges as, um, as, as very painful and difficult. He says, look, I am, uh, I am uh, I'm troubled on every side. Have you ever had one of those days where it seems like you've been putting fires out all day long? <laughs> where like you have, we go over here, you got a problem. You back up over here, you got a problem. You back up, you got a problem. Go forward, you got a problem. He goes, every place I seem to go, I got a problem. Because I'm not going to be distressed about it. He said, I, I have, I'm perplexed. If you live very long in serving the Lord, trying to live the Christian life, trying to be a good mom, a good dad, a good grandma, good grandpa, good son, good daughter, you're going to get times where you've got more questions than answers. You're perplexed. He said, but I'm not hopeless. I don't have the answer right now, but I'm going to keep on going. He says, I, I have, I'm persecuted, but I'm not cast down. I'm despised, but I'm not forsaken. God knows who I am. He knows where I'm at. It's not been an easy road, but then he tells us some insights on what helps you whenever you are stressed. We live in a world that it's easy to get stressed. And the devil's been doing this for 6,000 years, so he knows, he knows his strategies. His strategies are doubt. His strategies are discouragement. His strategies are division. He's an accuser of the brethren. He likes to accuse. He likes to attack. He likes to criticize. He likes to give uh, untruths or partial truths. And he'll come at you and he'll come at me. None of us are exempt. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. And he'll work at you. And oftentimes his goal is to get us where we're distracted. I think when you look in the book of first, in Philippians, you'll find that he first of all tries to use doubt. He's the sinister minister of doubt. He likes to use discord. Just get some Get some friction going. Remember, you might want to remember him saying to Synthache and Euodius, you guys be of the same mind in the Lord. He says, stand fast in the Lord because we can get distracted. How many have ever been distracted from doing something that God wants you to do? Sometimes he just discourages you. That's why he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But Paul tells this church at Corinth, he says, look, it's kind of a difficult time. And uh, I was troubled on every side. I was, I was attacked. I was persecuted. I was perplexed. I didn't have the answers to my problems. But then he said, every time I did all those things, I had the grace of God to give me something. And here's a couple strategies I think can help us. And we'll do it quickly. But follow along with me, if you would, please, in verse number 10. Always bearing about in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our body, for we live, as for, for we which live are always delivered into death for Jesus' sake, and the life also of Jesus might, all, might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Have you noticed the theme there whenever you're going through a problem? You see someone's name keep popping up there? Who is it? Jesus. You know, your life is not about you. Your problems are not about you. One of the biggest challenges we all have is to have problems and make them about us. You know, the quickest way to waste, a, waste suffering is to make it about how you feel, how you think, and what you want. And he said, you know what, my problems, I've got to see them through the end and through the lens of his, what is God trying to do here. I've sat with some people in recent days, and some of them, they make their problem all about them. 
how they think, how they feel, and what they want. Some people make their problem about what do you think, Pastor, God's trying to teach me here? What is going on? What, what is it that could, what, not, when you have a problem, here's a couple of things you can do. You can go, why? Why do I have this? Or you might say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this? What do you want me to do? He confesses, I got some big problems. Every, on every side, I got problems. I got trouble. But he saw them through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to look at the next verse real quickly, and I want you to, to follow along with me. Verse number 13, we have the same spirit of faith. According as is written, would you read the rest of the verse with me? I believe, we also believe, he is quoting Psalms 116, verse number 10. So when you have a problem, he said, I believe, therefore have I what? You know, that's how you get saved. For with the heart man believes in the righteous and with the mouth confession made in salvation. When someone wants to be saved, normally you show them the scriptures and you ask them, do you believe this? If they say yes, I said, the only thing you have to do now is if you believe this in your heart is tell God you believe it. Call upon the name of the Lord and you can be saved. Confess this. Are you willing to do that? I was talking to someone, I invited them, they heard the radio, they heard the, uh, the, the gospel on the radio, and they saw me in the community, they said, now pastor, you keep saying you can know for sure that when you die, you go to heaven. Is that true? I said, yes. And so they came to the service, a friend invited them to come, they came, and they sit over there, I invited them to come after church to come to my house, and uh, to come to our home. And so they sat here in the invitation, and the lady beside them said, would you like to go forward? He says, and they said, am I going to pastor's house afterwards to have lunch? I said, yes. He goes, no, I'll wait. And so they didn't come forward in the service. They went to my home. We had a meal. We sat down afterward. I said, do you mind if I explain to you the gospel? I went through the gospel with them. And I said, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? And they said, yes, I believe. I said, if Jesus is willing to accept you, would you be willing to accept him and ask him to save you? And they said, do you think I came here for my lunch? <laughs> I said, no. Because that's what I've been waiting for. I wanted to get saved. I said, okay, well, let's, let's forget about lunch and let's get saved. How about that? And I never get to, she, when they said, do you think I came here for lunch? And I said, no, I think you, because this is what I've been waiting for. Go ahead and tell me. And I did, and they called out to the Lord and got saved, and they got baptized. And it's just a sweet story. But the truth of the matter is, after I shared the truth, their next thing to do is, is respond and ask God to save. How, remember, how many of you remember when you did that, when you heard the truth and you asked the Lord to save you? It's great. But that's not just for salvation. Yes, that's how we get saved. But the Bible says the just shall live by faith. I think today you and I still need to believe in our heart and ask God to help us and proclaim our trust in him. Psalm 25 is a great verse, and I won't take you there, but it says, Under thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Remember not the sins of my youth. But he said, he said, I trust in you. You know, most men appreciate when their wives say, I don't know what to do, honey. I'll trust you. Well, we're not worthy of trust, but there's something inside of us that, like, that elevates our carefulness and our discernment. Like, I don't want to mess up on this. Because we've got someone depending on us. How much more the heart of God enjoys it when we express confidence in him? When you're troubled and stressed out, could I encourage you to stop? If you can fall to your knees, that might be a good idea. If you can look to the heavens, that'd be a good idea. If you lift your hands to heaven, I've done this many times, say, God, I trust you. 
I don't know what to do. I don't like the trouble, but I trust you to help me. You know, I think when we expend our trust in the Lord, God does respond to that. He said, we believe, therefore we've spoken. So when you're stressed out, the first thing I would do, encourage you, is to see it through the eyes of Jesus. Number two, to believe God and verbalize your trust in him. Had a precious little family of the day, and they found out the baby that they were carrying was 20 weeks along, and the baby was going to die. It was still alive, but it was going to die. And it was, it was painful. Linda sat with me as we talked to this beautiful couple, but... Uh, they, as they begin to tell me the problem and the difficulty. I didn't see a lot. I, they'd already had their tears and their emotions. But they said, you know what, Pastor? We're going to trust God in this thing. I thought, well, that's beautiful. How could you have the strength to do that? You know why? Because they weren't making it about them. They were trying to see it through the eyes of Jesus. And they verbalized, Lord, we don't understand, but we trust you. We don't have all the answers, but we'll trust you. I think it's a good exercise when we go through difficult times just to say, Lord, I trust you. Can you say it with me? Lord, not to me, but to God. Let's just say it. Lord, once you think about your problem just for a second, what is your problem? What's your difficulty? If you had to really say, what am, I'm lonely, Pastor. I'm miserable. I've got more bills than I have money to pay, or I'm sick of being by myself, or I'm rejected, or... I don't know if my marriage is going to make it. Can I encourage you to say it right now in your heart? Lord, I trust you. My kids are not coming back to the Lord. I thought by now they would already turned around. What can you say? Lord, I trust you. Things are going on in your life you can't control and you don't know what to do. Say, Lord, I trust you. Would you say it again with me, would you please? Lord, learn to say it. In times he said, we believe, therefore have we spoken. When you go through a difficult time or stress is coming on you or difficulties or problems seems like they're on every side or you got more questions than answers, see it through the eyes of Jesus. Tell God you trust him. You believe, therefore speak. And it could be something that could be life-changing. There's something about the name of the Lord. Even calling the name of the Lord. You know, girls, if you're ever in a, a threat in the Bible, says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. There's something powerful about the name of Jesus. I have a Jewish friend, and whenever he speaks of God, he never says God or Lord or Jesus. He'll say, my Lord Jesus Christ. He's a successful businessman. He said, when I say that, people automatically are like, Ugh. I could say Jesus, I could say God, I could say Christ, but if I say my Lord Jesus Christ, people are like, like, Ugh. who would someone say? There's power in that name. And call upon it. I've seen some people go through difficult times and they'll say, my Lord Jesus Christ, I ask you to help me. And it seems like to me, man, the Lord responds to that. I believe, therefore have I spoken. The next thing I love about Apostle Paul, he did not make it a me thing. He said, we believe, therefore we've spoken. He, speak about, he, spoke about, he speaks about it in the plural pronouns of us, we, and our. You know, whatever your problem is, someone else has a problem bigger than your problem. Whatever your situation is, there are millions of people who have had that situation with a lot less help than you're going to have. I think one thing when we have a difficult time and you're stressed out, remember you're not the only person with a problem like that. And meditate on that. Say, well, pastor, I've been abused. Other people have been abused. 
By the way, if you've been hurt, you need to report that. You please, those are things we want to help you with. I want to encourage you with that. I want, to know, I want you to know that, that you're not the only one. Well, my wife or my spouse left me. Other people have gone through that. I wanted to be married by this time, and I'm not. Other people have gone there, and God's helped them. And God can help you. My spouse has got Alzheimer's. They're not, they're not clicking. They're struggling with some things. Listen, other people have gone through that, and God's helped them. My mom and dad are aging. I'm not sure I can still work and still take care of them. What do I do in that situation? Other people have gone through that. You can see it through the lens of Jesus. You can say, God, I'll trust you to guide my steps. Number three, I'm going to make it about me. The quickest way you can lose effectiveness in your trial is to make it about how it affects your thinking, your feelings, and, uh, and your desires. God knows how to help us with that. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. The Bible says in verse 14, knowing that, which, uh, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us by his, uh, up by, also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Just a quick thing. When you believe God, say, Pastor, what do we believe about God? We believe in his power and his promises. We believe what he said and we believe he has the power to do it. If he could raise Jesus from the dead, can he help me with my problem? Can he help you with your problem? Yeah, he can. So when distressed, see it through the eyes of Jesus. Believe God's power and his, and his promises. And verbalize your belief. Tell him I believe you. And then don't make it about you. Look at verse number 15. Can we look at that, please? The Bible says, for all things are for whose sake? That the abundant grace might through thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. The next thing I would encourage you is realize that every problem or stress or difficulty you go through, there is a reason. I don't know the reason, but there is a reason. Trials come in seasons, and they always come for reasons. No one has a breakneck, terrible life from beginning to the end. All of us, we could have difficulties we could say about. And I could, you could tell me yours, I could tell you mine. But most of my life has not been a breakneck trial. Most of my life has been good. I've enjoyed far more good things than negative things. I've had far more sunshiny days than I have rainy days in my life. And I think anybody with, with common sense and a, and a willingness to think about that, you'll say the same thing. None of us are starving to death. Maybe you don't like where you are right now and there's a state you've got to learn to be content in, but quite frankly, God's been good to you. And God's been good to me. Now I need to say, okay, I've been, I'm in a trial. I'm in a po- moment of stress. I'm in a moment of, of, of perplexity. I don't know what to do. I'm troubled on every side. Well, what can I do? I can understand that God has reasons and that this is a season. This is my seasonal trial. And now what's the reason? He said, number, there's a couple reasons. Number one, most of our trials are able, if we'll go through them with the grace of God, we can help someone else later. I can't tell you how many times people have called me and said, hey, my friend at work lost his son. Could you call him? Well, I, I couldn't do that, and no one ever asked me to do that before 2008. But after that, and going through that, people were interested and say, if he helped you, can you help them? Someone who has cancer is looking for someone else who's had cancer. Someone else has a back surgery is asking someone else who's had back surgery. What can I do about this? What do you think you can help me? You know why? God lets you go through a trial so you can be equipped to help someone else.
So, well, Pastor, I don't want that kind of a trial. That's how God works. In a fallen world, we need somebody who's been there. Someone said, you can't care until you've been there. But the truth of the matter is it's good to have someone who knows how you feel. I remember going and standing, standing on Trinette's steps over in East Chicago after her son was, was uh, passed away. And we stood there and we knocked on the door. It was a dark night, maybe 11 o'clock at night. Linda and I stood on her front porch. Her son was now in the, in the coroner's office. His body was, he was with the Lord because two soul winners led him to Christ. We have a picture of it when he got saved. It's a beautiful testimony. But she said, she opened the door and she said, and she cried because I miss him so much. And then the next thing she said as Linda embraced her, she said, you know how I feel. You know how I feel. She said, the same thing happened. You know, the difficulties that come to your life are meant to help someone else later on. Unless we waste them in our, own, in our own sorrow. He said, all these things are for your sakes. He's the pastor, Pastor Paul is talking about all the things. He goes, everything I'm going through, it's for you. It's so the gospel will go forth and so people will be saved and good things can happen for the eternal purposes that are there. I was thinking about this morning, about uh, how many times I've mentioned about Mark and Laura and Mary Beth, and their Mary Beth's husband, Marty, and Mark's dad. Man, I remember the first time we tried to have any conference, a homecoming conference, when we first came, he pulled up with his truck, and he was sitting across the street over here on his truck about 6.30 in the morning, reading his Bible in a lawn chair in the back of his truck, waiting for the service to start. I remember that. And then when I found out that he had passed away and was killed in that, in that plane crash, and just to know that his legacy continues on through his son and to his beautiful wife and continuing on. But you know, I, whenever someone tells me about a difficulty, I remember, boy, Mark kept on going, though his dad died in the same accident he was in. God gave him strength to keep going. He can help someone else, and others can come to know the Lord and have more faith in God if you and I will exercise faith and not be... A, not be. And then the Bible says, look at verse 15 again. I think it's a great concept here. For all things are for your sake, that the abundant grace might through what? Yeah, of many redound to what? So you see right here, you see a problem. You see a problem, and when you have a problem that you can't solve, it instantly brings you humility. Okay, so you're humble. Then humility brings God's grace. God giveth grace to the... So, I, boy, if we didn't have a problem, we'd be so proud with our chest stuck out, and we're like, oh, we're all this in the bag of chips. We wouldn't look for God's help. But we have a problem, and it brings humility. Humility brings God's grace. When God helps us and he gives us his grace, then there is gratitude. There's thanksgiving. And then from Thanksgiving, it brings glory to God. It's like we're going home this afternoon, and uh, we get a flat tire, and we're not really ready to put a jack underneath it and fix it ourselves. All of a sudden, we, like, we get a flat tire, thump, thump, thump. Oh, no, Lord, help me. And someone pulls the vine and says, hey, you know what? I've got a jack right here. Let me do this. I've got, I've got, I'm a tow truck. Let me help you. And all of a sudden, he, before, he, before he knows it, he takes the tire off, puts the other tire back on. You're ready to go. You're on your way. What's the thing you're doing as you're pulling away with the tire, you're like, Lord, you're awesome. Thank you. A problem brings humility. Humility brings God's help, and that's asking for God's help. Then when God helps us, then we're thankful. And then what do you do when you get home and tomorrow at work and whatever? What do you do? What do you do? 
You talk about this great tow truck driver just stopped off. He just talked about me. You bring glory to the person that helped you. You know that what our problems are? Our problems are there to humble us. We get God's grace. We're grateful for God's grace, and we glorify God ultimately. Say, Pastor, that's too much work. That's God's plan. The reason we're still on this earth is to bring glory to God and good to others. Even through our stress and discouragement, we need to see it through God's lenses. We need to believe God and trust him and verbalize our trust. We realize that God has purpose. We can trust his power. We can trust his uh, promises. And then we go through problems. There's reasons and seasons for them. And usually they begin with, ultimately end with the glory of God. Look at the next two verses, and we're about done. 16, for this cause, we faint not. So one thing we don't want to do in a trial, in a time of stress, is quit. How many have had, the, had that impulse from time to time? Sure. If you've never had that impulse of quitting, you haven't had problems. But problems make you want to quit. He said, but this is the reason you don't quit. This is the reason we don't faint. We don't quit. You've heard me say the little poem before, when things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care presses you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't, you quit. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt, and we can never tell how close we are. Success may be near when it seems like it's so far. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. When things go wrong, you mustn't quit. There's no time for quitting. And if we don't consider Jesus, Hebrews chapter 13, verse number verse 12, verse 3, he said, if you don't consider his difficulty, then we will weary and faint where? In our minds. He says, so when you're having a difficult time, it's not a time to quit. If you're ever going to quit, quit when you're on top. Quit when things are going good. But there's no time to quit here in the grave. It's a good time to quit when your heart stops beating. (laughs) When you can no longer live, that's a good time to quit. Look at the next thing the Bible says, for this cause we faint not. For though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. And of course, one of the purposes for challenges and difficulties, it strengthens our inner man. Our inner man is renewed day by day through faith in God, through trials. Then the Bible says, 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Remember that there is eternal reason. They're really not that heavy compared to the blessings of going through them. See Brother Randy Rogers back there. Randy, when was your accident? 26 years ago? 25 years? How, How many years? 25. 25 years ago, on a scaffolding, scaffolding gave way, he fell back, fully conscious, hit his head, broke his neck, and laid there, couldn't move. Tina got to him before the ambulance got there. And he realized instantly, he is paralyzed. He can't move his right leg, his left leg, his right arm, his left arm. For 25 years, for Randy to get here on a Sunday morning, normally the nurse has to get there at 4 or 4.30 in the morning to get him bathed and ready and changed. He has to do more work to get here on Sunday morning than than any of us will ever even imagine. Think about Brother Dan Hubbard over here and Brother Randy. They know something about pain. They've had more pain and they'll have more pain in an hour than many of us will have in a month. It's just what they have, what they deal with. But the Bible tells us here and and this right here that whatever whatever your difficulty is, get through it. 
continue. James 1, verse 12, blesses the man that endureth a trial, temptation. For when he is tried, he will receive the crown of life. Let me just tell you something about God. You never suffer just because. Difficulties that come. Now, we can manufacture our own suffering. But suffering for the Lord is never wasted unless you waste it or I waste it. And it's very small in compared to the eternal weight of glory. If God can get a hold of your trial, Think about Brother Tom Williams for 26, 27 years. His wife was beautiful. She was played the piano. She typed. So many words a minute. She was a great help, made a beautiful mom. And all of a sudden, her, admiring, her entire memory was, was wiped away. And for the next 27 years, she was his wife, but she had the mentality of maybe like a first grader, a second grader, a kindergartner. She had to learn to walk again, read again, learn her name, learn what a husband is, what a wife is, that she's a mother. She had her completely mind taken away and never had emotional conversation again, never had a meaningful relationship for 27 years, taking care of her like, a, like an invalid child, walking her around, going to hospitals and all of that for 27 years. One time he told me, he said, Pastor, he said, Pastor Wilkerson, the trial's been brutal, but the longer it goes, the more glory God gets. And it's the only thing that makes it worth it. Longer it goes, I, 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 I want God to have his will. And, of course, now the Lord has taken her home, and he's remarried, and the Lord's blessed his ministry, talked to him this week, and just very, very, God is using him. I'm so glad. But, boy, I tell you, that's, that sounds terrible to me. Sounds awful. And yet... It's a light thing concern, compared to what you wouldn't even know the name Tom Williams if he hadn't gone through that trial. You wouldn't know twice given. There'd be thousands of people who would not be in heaven had it not happened to him. Because God does things for his glory, and it's a light thing compared to eternal weight of glory. And the Bible says the things that are seen, they're temporal. The things that are not seen, are eternal, and they have a greater weight of glory. God has a purpose. So when you're going through your time of stress and difficulty, look at it through the eyes of Jesus. Trust God and tell him, I trust you. Verbalize your trust. Don't make it about you, how it affects you and how it affects me, how I think, how I feel, what I want. Realize that God has purposes. It's no time to quit. Realize that it's difficult, but it's light compared to all eternity. We, we have everything within our world that tells you the best is now. Live it up here. It's all you got. That's an atheistic way of thinking about things. God wants you to be thinking about the next 30 million years. Not just next 30 minutes, next three years, 30 years. He wants you to think about eternity. Because that's where you're going to live the rest of your life. With him in eternity. So if you're going through a difficult time, yeah, it's hard. But it's light compared to an eternal weight of glory. And it's things that you see that are temporal, but things that are not being seen right now because you can't see everything that's going on, God has a purpose and we can trust him. Let's pray.